You're listening to the Cathedral Podcast. To learn more about Cathedral, like service times or how to get connected with a small group, visit wearecathedral.com. Today's message comes from Pastor Dave Ammons. O come, O come, Emmanuel. One of the greatest Christmas carols that we will get to sing, and that was the first part of the special that you just heard from our amazing violinist Arda there. O Come, O Come, Emmanuel is also one of the oldest Christmas carols that you will get to sing and participate in with as well. You see, the entire song is singing of one theme through three distinct different time periods of this world. The first verse that you're gonna see as it pertains to that song is is this singing of an Old Testament group of people who are eagerly anticipating, they're looking forward to the first coming of Christ onto this earth. The second verse that you sing in O Come Emmanuel is speaking of a New Testament group of people and their experience is something different because they're actually living in the promise. They're living out the prophetic word that they have heard for hundreds of years. And so there's so much celebration because they can't believe that they're the chosen generation to live through this experience. Verse three of that song actually talks about you and I. Because it's a generation of people who are living with a sense of expectancy in those who are waiting for the final advent of Christ, the final coming of Christ at the end of all things. You see, what I find so neat about that song is that it speaks to something in particular. In fact, it speaks to something tremendously important to every single one of us, so important that it actually doesn't matter what generation you come up in this world, because there's a central theme that every single one of us get to experience and is tremendously important, and that thing is this, is that Jesus is the central part of our lives. You see, this world, it can be pretty loud, This world can be pretty distracting, and even with all of the noise and all of the the distractions trying to get us off of the God-ordained plan that he has for your life, there is one voice that speaks directly to us and goes through every bit of that noise. His name is Jesus. Now, With that in mind, this this central message of Jesus being the center of our world, there's something else that I kind of want to talk to you about. And what I want to show you is a nativity scene. Now, we'll get to the live version of the nativity scene, but the first one that I want to draw your attention to is this little one right in front of me. This is a special nativity scene because this is one that my boys have participated with. This is one that my boys have played with, and it wasn't uncommon for my wife and I to enter into the room that this nativity scene was set up with, and my boys were playing with baby Jesus, only he looked a little bit more like Superman than he did baby Jesus. It wasn't uncommon for them to have the animals jumping off the barn, 
Judy chopping somebody else in the scene, okay? And our, our, our memories are absolutely filled with that, and they would begin to move pieces around to fit the narrative. And as you look in here, I don't know if the camera crew can get this scene, I'll point out one of them. You notice that a couple of these have taken some hits in their day. Most notably is poor little Joseph. His head is no longer on. Nonetheless, still a part of the story. Animals have lost their hooves. Angels have lost their wings. Wise men have lost their hands. But no doubt, this nativity scene is very important to our family for the memories that it holds. You know, you can learn a lot when you look at the nativity. One of the things that you're going to notice is that you see all of these characters and all of these characters are actually looking in a particular direction. Every single character in this scene that we're looking at is looking at the baby, is looking at Christ Jesus himself. And this is the way that it was originally intended. And I'm not even talking about the very first happening of it, of what we just heard in Luke chapter 2 there. In 1223 A.D., St. Francis of Sisi was struggling with something that we still struggle with today, that as a society and as a part of, of, of fallen human nature, it seems like every year we wonder this question, how as a world did we get so far off of the true meaning of Christmas? Well, it was no different in his generation, and he was struggling with this idea, and he says, hey, I, I have this idea that I think might actually affect my community. And it was there in Italy that he began to have this thought, what if I can make the Christmas story come alive? What if I can make this, this reading of Luke chapter 2 come off of just words of a page and come into reality? And so it was right there in Italy in a cave that we see the first live nativity scene come to life. And it is recorded that it has gone down as one of St. Francis Assisi's, one of his most notable messages. And yes, it did affect his community. Now, its popularity has grown tremendously in it's not unusual for you and I to have one or even more of these nativity scenes throughout our house. And so what I want to do is I want to talk about something in particular because I think, and you may have noticed the same thing in your life, but I noticed in life that we do the same thing that my boys did when they played with this nativity scene. Based off of our life circumstances, based off of whatever's going on in our world, we begin to move the nativity pieces of our life. We'll shift these figures around. Most notably, we'll begin to shift Jesus into a different position, and other things begin to slide in. And so what I want to do is I want us to think about that process. What if we took Jesus and we keep him in the scene, but we just kind of bump him out to the outskirts, not in his rightful place. He's still there, but let's see how it affects our life. Let's go through this journey. I want to take each of these characters that we see in this nativity scene and what happens when we place them in the center. So the first group that I want to pull into this nativity scene and into the center is the shepherds. Shepherds, if you'll come over here and, and join us. 
Now, what's interesting about shepherds, when you begin to read throughout Scripture, if you begin in the very first few books of the Old Testament, being a shepherd was a position that was held in very high regard. They were the top of the rung, and it was looked upon as a good thing. But it didn't take too many books in the, in the Bible of the Old Testament and even into the New Testament to realize shepherding was not a high profession. Matter of fact, it, was, it quickly became one of the lowest rungs of profession uh, that you could have in the Bible, uh, or at least during Bible times. And what you would see is that these people would quite literally be the outcast of society, even so much to say that society wouldn't even want to be seen with them. It would decrease your status if you hung around them for too long. And so for the sake of this analogy, what I want to do is I want these shepherds to represent something in our own lives. And what I have deemed as the shepherds is, is it's going to be our identity. Now, this is a term that has been hijacked in our society, but what comes along with that is this whole process of being an outcast, the shame that gets put on us. And there's no doubt in our life we have all had certain things that have been said to us with ill intent, have we not? Every single one of us faced this whole process. We get words that are spoken of us that are not even true. Sometimes we may get those words yelled at us or screamed at us or demeaned to us. But here becomes the problem because no doubt we all have to work through those situations and that can be difficult. Many of us in this room are still dealing with that process that we got attached to us as a child. But what's even more difficult and what's so sad to see for folks is that this now becomes their identity. So no longer is Jesus in the center of their world and in their life but now they've subbed it out for an identity that's not even who God called them to be. It's a less than identity. And so they're looking through this filter of a world that's not even who they are. It's a false imagination that we've bought into. And it becomes dangerous when that becomes the filter of our life. Our outcomes become different when that identity of an individual becomes the center of our world. Okay? All right, shepherds, we can go ahead and put you back into place. Thank you, guys. Next, let's bring the wise men into the fold. Now the wise men are in the center. Now, the wise men are also interesting because the Bible actually never says that we have three wise men. What the Bible does say is that they came from over a thousand miles away. They came from Persia for one purpose. They wanted to see this magnificent baby being born into the world that was going to change the course of history forever. And yes, these wise men didn't come with three gifts. They came with gold and frankincense and myrrh. Probably where we got the sense that there had to be three if there was three gifts. I guess they couldn't carry more than one item. But for this purpose and for this analogy, what I want these wise men to represent for us is this was the epitome of education in biblical times. This was the epitome of success and accolades, even fame, so much to say. Now, there is nothing wrong with having goals in our life. Listen, I'm a person that absolutely loves goals, setting goals. Actually, it's, it's, it's kind of a pace setter in my own life. I love seeing that happen. But here's what I see happening so many times in people's lives is that their accomplishments become the center of who they are. Better said, it's what others think they've accomplished. 
And so instead of having Jesus at the center of their life, what ends up happening is they place their name in the center. They place all their accolades, the trophies of life, instead of having Jesus at the center of their world. Wiseman, thank you. You can go ahead and get back in your place. Now, don't forget, this is not a prodigal son-style story. Jesus is still in this picture. He's not thrown out and cast out and saying, hey, I'm going to live my life. No, he's there. He's just not in his rightful spot. And so for the next characters that I want to bring into this fold, they're central into this story. It wouldn't happen without these two, and that's Mary and Joseph. Now, this is by no means a representation of the parenting that we see in the biblical story, but what I want Mary and Joseph to represent in our lives is family. Sometimes we put family in the center of everything, and when you talk to people, here's some of the things that you'll hear, is how important their family is. Oh, family is the most important thing in my world. I'm going to tell you right now, if we got a decision that we are making as a family, it is going through the family filter. And if it don't match that, then it ain't going to be happening. And one of the things that you'll notice even people say sometimes is, oh, it's family first. It even sounds right, doesn't it? But here's something that I've noticed as a pastor and even more importantly as a dad is when Jesus is just around and not at the center of your family, it will never exist. Family can't be first until Jesus is at the center of your family unit. Now, don't get me wrong and say, oh, okay, well, family's not important. No, the Bible has a lot to say about family. And in fact, it even goes so far as to say, hey, Make this a priority in your life. Don't sub this out to anybody else in the world, including the government, including friends and family. No, you are the parent. There's a lot that it says about this. Family is important. Setting up a kingdom family is important. But maybe we have the setup wrong. Maybe family is first, even ahead of Christ sometimes. Thank you, guys. You can go ahead and go back. The last group that I want to put into this nativity scene is, it was kind of a fun one, because no doubt they're a part of the nativity story. They're a part of Luke chapter 2, and that is the animals. Because no doubt they play a part, do they not? Here we go. we got some good shepherds helping us out. Now, for this one, I was pondering and kind of praying around, all right, Lord, what you want? What, what, what does this represent? And so here's where I landed. I'm going to give you two different uh, analogies as it pertains to animals in this nativity scene. And what I'm going to base it off of is how we see animals in biblical times, but then also how we see animals in our modern day times, because no doubt those two things are different, right? So the first thing that you're going to notice is that when you read the Bible, and anytime animals are a part of that story, animals hold a prominent place because it, no, it, 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 it categorizes Success and really what it categorizes is work. These are the work horses when we read, no pun intended to the donkey there, but they're the work donkeys of the entire thing, right? And so it's so easy to understand that work can become the center of our world so easily. When we think about it, it's not hard to really picture that. I mean, we spend so much effort, we spend so much time in our workplace environment, but here's the important thing to understand. It doesn't really matter what we do all day, every day at work. What's important is that we get this setup of where Jesus is in the midst of that entire thing. 
Okay? Now, again, don't hear me say wrong that work is not important because the Bible also talks a lot about uh, how important work is, that we need to have an amazing work ethic. In fact, the Bible talks even a little bit more of the downfall of when we aren't good and hard workers. And if you are lazy, man, stay away from Proverbs because there's some things that go along with that that ain't good to happen in your life. And so work is important, but it's not so important that, it's, that we sacrifice Jesus' place in our life. And so work can become the center of our world. The other thing that animals really kind of represent is they kind of represent our hobbies. I mean, animals have kind of become even hobbies nowadays. Uh, if you were here a couple weekends ago, Tyshawn was here, and him and his wife, Victoria, were down. And so Macy and I took him downtown. We were showing him around and wanted to show him everything that Charleston had to offer and all the amazing decorations. If you haven't done that so far, I encourage you to do so. It's just fun to do with your family. But we were walking around and we were walking through this hotel and this lady comes out of the elevator and she is dressed to the nines. I'm talking, she is dressed up and she is pushing this little baby carriage right through the middle of this foyer. And as she got closer, we realized, ah, that entire apparatus that you're pushing isn't actually for a baby. It's for an eight-ounce little dog. <laughs> yep, she's doing it in front of everybody. It was incredible. She did it with confidence, too. And as she got closer to us, the even what I realized even more is that this dog had a matching outfit to her owner <laughs> with the matching jewelry. So no doubt, this dog was not only her hobby, it was her center of her entire universe, right? But our hobbies can really do that for us as well. And what's interesting about hobbies, and hobbies can be anything. It can be the sports seasons that we get obsessed about. It can be actual hobbies that we become obsessed about. It's any of those things that we become obsessive compulsive about in those seasons. And what's interesting about these time periods, what you see so often, is for the majority of the year, Jesus might be in the right spot until that hobby or that season comes around and what ends up happening, well, just for a short time period, let's push them over here because that's the priority. Year after year, this begins to happen. Habits begin to form and it begins to creep into multiple other areas of your life and we sit back and we wonder, how in the world did I get where I got not realizing we've shifted from the important thing that's supposed to be at the center of our life and so it happens just that easily. You know, one of the things that I get to do as a pastor, one of the primary things that I get to do is preach, doing exactly what I'm doing right now. It's not my favorite thing. I, I don't mind it. I enjoy it. Uh, but it's not my favorite thing. My, one of the favorite things that I get to do is I get to journey with people. That is the most important thing. It's the thing that I absolutely love doing more than anybody else. And it's around this whole idea of helping people and how to set up our lives properly, making sure that Jesus truly is the center of our world because it's really easy to get off a track. Anybody else done that before? I know I have multiple times, in fact, right? In fact, I'll tell you which one of these analogies is most like myself. The one that I kind of resemble the most would be the animals, I love work. I thrive in work. I love setting these goals. I love seeing the before and afters. I love pushing the goal down the field and seeing people's lives changed. But I can be honest with you and say that I can get so involved and so engrossed in work that I forget sometimes about my own walk with the Lord. 
It happens so easily. And so here's the thing that I wonder as I was kind of thinking through this entire process, as we approach the Christmas season, we're just one short week away, this question popped in my head for you guys, which was this, is I wonder what type of setup, one of these areas that has crept even into your own life, which area have we kind of shifted God out of his rightful place? Because this is set up right now, but how easily it is to shift that. Which one of these areas could be the area that has crept in? And so what I want to do is over the next two minutes, I want to give you three steps of how to get Jesus right back into to the center of what's the most important thing in our world. So here we go. Number one is this. This is probably the most common sense one. It, it, none of this is rocket science, but I want to lay these things out for you. Number one is this, is that we have to invite him in. You see, the Bible describes Jesus as this, is that he's a wonderful counselor, that he's... He's a mighty God. Scripture says that he's an everlasting father. Even in the Old Testament, they're asking, who are you? And he says, I am. Is he all of these things? Yes, he is all of these things. But one thing that he's never going to do is he's never going to barge in. We have to give him permission. In fact, scripturally speaking, the closest that he's ever going to get to you is your heart. In fact, the Bible says these words that he stands at that location and he knocks. And some of you can probably sense that knocking right now, maybe even for the first time. You see, because the Lord desperately wants to find his rightful spot, he wants to get into his rightful spot, but he cannot do that unless we invite him in. Honestly, guys, that's, that is a great way to start this thing right off from the very beginning. The first step that needs to happen in every one of our lives is that we invite him in because until we do that, he'll never barge in. The second thing that we have to do is we invite him in, but now we need to invite him into every area of our life. You see, you and I, we don't get to pick and choose the areas that he has access to or not. You can't compartmentalize Jesus, and this is honestly really the main point of my entire message today, is that you and I can't just say, hey, I'm gonna invite you into my home, I'm gonna invite you into my family, Jesus, but I can't have you come into my work sphere. I can't have you come into my ambitions or into my hobbies. No, no, I need you in this space, not in this space. It doesn't work that way. No, he wants to be in all of this. Can y'all say all? He wants to be in all of this. So we invite him in. We don't just stop there. We invite him into every area of our life. And the third and final one, and this is huge. The third is we have to allow him to work in our life. It's one thing to invite him in settles the peace of eternity, right? It's another thing to invite him into all the different areas of our life. But how often do we have people in our world, they're physically present in the room, but they don't have a voice in your life. 
So we can't just stop at inviting him into every area of our life. We have to allow him to work in those areas. Here's what it says in Colossians. It says this, that he is the image of the invisible God. He's talking about Jesus. He's the invisible image of the invisible God. He's the firstborn of all creation. He created all things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether they're kings or lords, whether they're rulers or whether they're powers, everything has been created through him and for him. Man, does that not concrete this image that Jesus is at the center of everything? Not just in the nativity story, but in our lives and on this planet. But if I'm sitting where you were sitting in these chairs here this morning, there's one line in this verse that I would make sure that I underline or highlight it at least, and it's in this next phrase right here. And here's what it says, is that he existed before everything, and here's the most important line that I wanna make sure that we get, and he holds everything together. You see, I gave my heart to the Lord at a very early age. I was sitting in a room uh, at our youth group and the youth leader sat down and had a conversation with me and led me to the Lord right then and there. Now, does that mean that my life is completely perfect from that moment on? No. No, my life has looked a lot like your life. There's been moments of real difficulty there's been high points, and there's been a lot of this, okay? But here's something that I've learned throughout the entire process, and no matter how many periods of difficulty that I have, here is the truth of what's happening, is that he holds it all together. You see, the more situations that I have and the more situations that I've been through, the more that I realize and understand that kind of a statement to be true, that all I have to do, that no matter what the circumstance, is I need to let him be at the center of it all and he will return this promise to me that if I can just release the reins and put him in his proper spot, that he will hold it all together. You see, you're never gonna be perfect. I'm never gonna be perfect. There's only one person who gets to hold that title. His name is Jesus. But he can hold you together. And what I know about you, is, at least for some of you guys, if you match kind of the, I would say the theme of what happens in this church, is every year around this time period, one of the most difficult things to deal with is family. I don't know if that's you this morning. Maybe, maybe it is. Maybe you are dealing and your family is literally unraveling right now. Maybe your work's unraveling. Maybe it's this thought process that we're talking about. But here's, here's this process that intrigues me with people is at some point they say something like this. Dave, I'm just, I've kind of lost hope in this situation. I just don't see how this situation, I have literally tried absolutely everything. I have no hope, I'm here to tell you this morning. Yes, you do. And that is the Christmas story. You have hope. And he wants to hold it together for you. He wants to hold it together with you. You see, in a moment, what we're getting ready to do is we're going to take communion and 
And, and I'm doing so purposely because I want it to sit as a reminder of just how desperate Jesus is to be at the center of our life. You see, as we pass out these elements, the worship team is going to sing a song. Dream Team, you can go ahead and come on down. But the worship team is going to sing a song, and this is a powerful song. It's an older song. It's simply titled this, Jesus at the Center of it all. And so they're going to hand out these elements, and I want you to hold on to these elements. Don't take them just quite yet. And so as they pass them out, hold them with you. Stay seated for this moment, and let's worship.
that you have in your hand I want you to keep right in front of you and I kind of just want to walk through it to make sure that we understand really what it is that we're engaging in this is a special part and these elements have been the same ever since Jesus did it with his 12 disciples for the first time the first element that I want you to keep in the forefront of you is the bread the bread in communion has signified this very thing, which is the body of Jesus. And not just his physical body, but it represents, yes, his body being broken for us in the physical, but what it also means in the spiritual for you and I. And when his body was broken, he took on something for us. The main and most important thing that he took on for us is our sin our sin nature, and yes, it broke his body, but he did it willingly because he wanted his body to break so ours no longer had to. But he didn't just stop at that, he continued to go on, and his body was broken for our iniquity. His body was broken for the areas of our life that we don't feel adequate anymore. The things that make us feel less than, the things that, that people have attached to us for all these years. He's saying, listen, I, I, my body was broken so you didn't have to deal with that anymore. Keep me in the center of your life and I promise you, my body was already broken for those things. His body was broken for sickness and Disease. His body was broken for grief and shame and all the things in our life that are of this world. And so here's what I want us to do. As you hold this element in, our, in your hands, we're getting ready to break this. But before we break it, I want you to visualize something in the front of your mind. Every single one of us in this room have some area of difficulty. I may have hit on some of those areas with the analogy of this nativity scene this morning. But whatever that area of difficulty is, I want you to get it in the forefront of your mind. The only difference is I want you to step out of the scene. And as we break this thing, I want you to visualize that difficulty that has been with you for far too long is getting ready to break, only you're not doing the breaking because now we've realigned ourselves. We're back in alignment with Jesus being the center of our life and he's the one that is gonna be doing the breaking. And might I add, he does it with ease, amen? So on the count of three, with that in the front of your brain, I want you to break it. One, two, Three, take and eat. Second element that I have here for us as a part of this communion is the wine. For us this morning, it's grape juice. And what this represents is this, is it represents Jesus's blood, which was shed for a purpose. It was shed to establish something brand new on this earth. It was to establish a new covenant between you and me. And what this covenant brought along with it was forgiveness. The forgiveness of our sins, which by the way, there's nothing we can do to earn it. 
There's nothing that we can do to get it, to keep it. It's only by the shedding of the blood of Jesus that allows us to receive that forgiveness. It sets us apart as something different. It sets us apart as holy in the sight of our God. You see, he made it possible for us to have peace with God. He made it possible for us to, to be in right standing with God. You see, Jesus made it possible to do a whole list of things some of those of which be able to live in freedom and not in fear, to have hope for a future. He brought deliverance from whatever sickness and disease that you're dealing with. And for us to have the wisdom to walk in light and to have confidence. You see, this communion is a few things. It's one of celebration. It's, it's one of a reminder of everything that God had put in place for us, but it's one of spiritual covering of what Jesus did and the importance of keeping Jesus at the center of our world. Amen? Would you take and drink? You see, the thing that I like most about the song that we just sang is that it's the gospel. Hey, gospel. What's the gospel about that song? Well, gospel simply means this. Simply means good news. Jesus at the center of it all, that's good news. Because none of us are worthy enough to receive him, but because of his redemption, because he was sent from heaven down to earth in the form of a baby boy to rescue us. Church, that is the Christmas story. Do me one last favor before we go, and would you bow your heads and close your eyes. I wanna pray through the three points that I gave for you. I'm gonna split it up into two different prayers. The first of which you may have heard me say in one of those points that the closest that Jesus is ever gonna get to you and I is our hearts. He's never going to barge in. We have to invite him in. We have to give him permission. And some of you, when I said that, may have even felt him standing at your heart and knocking. And so if you're here this morning and you hear a message like this, you say, you know what, Dave? Yeah, I, I've been doing a lot of this on my own. I'm, I'm ready to give up the reins. I want someone else who can actually do something about it. His name is Jesus. And if that's you here this morning, if you're ready to just say, you know what, I want, I want to be in right with, with Jesus. I do. I want to make him the center of my world. With every head bowed and every eyes closed, if that's you here this morning, would you just simply raise your hand? Between me and you, between God. There's hands up going all over this auditorium from my left, right, center, balcony to the right. There's just hands everywhere. That's absolutely amazing. Here's what's going to happen. You can put your hands down. We're gonna pray a simple prayer. The entire church is gonna pray this prayer, but know that if you raised your hand, this prayer is for you. And the heavens are erupting for the choice that you just made. So church, would you pray this prayer with me? Dear Lord, thank you for sending your son, Jesus. I thank you that he died on a cross, that he died for my sins. I believe he rose again. 
I invite him into my heart. I give you permission. Jesus, become the center of my life. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen, amen. Can you give a good round of applause for those guys who made that amazing decision? Do me just one more favor. Just close your eyes and bow your heads. I almost said the opposite there, which would have been fun. You can bow your eyes and close your head if you want. But I want to do this last round of it, and it's simply this. Maybe you've invited them in before, but you say, Dave, I, I, yeah, that nativity analogy just makes sense. And I realize I didn't know that I didn't have him at the center of my world. I definitely didn't have him at the center of everything. And so if that's you here this morning, there's no guilt, there's no shame, there's no condemnation with that. Can I tell you that God, our Father, is up in heaven just going, man, praise Jesus that you're running to me. You see, because there is a scripture in in the Word, in the Bible, that simply says this, that when you draw close to God, God gives us a promise back. It's not... And if, it's not a maybe, it's not a, well, it's going to happen for some. No, no, no. This is a promise. And if you raise your hand for this particular segment, you're signifying to God saying, God, I'm drawing close to you. And his promise back to you, 100%, yes, and I draw close to you. And I will be the center of your world. And so if you're here this morning, you say, Dave, I, I just... I actually don't even need you to do this for me. It's just as an uh, action step for you. But you say, Dave, yeah, I want to make sure that Jesus is the center of every part of my life. If that's you, would you just raise your hand as an action step to Jesus says, yes, I'm putting you back in your rightful spot. I'm putting you back in the center. I'm giving every situation to you. Nothing is too big. Nothing is too small. God, you are now in the center. Just so you know, you're not alone. There's so many hands across this entire worship center. Let me pray for you. Dear Jesus, we just thank you so much for this season. God, I love Christmas. I love that there's a time period every single year that we get to draw close to you. We get to celebrate the birth of Jesus, reminding ourselves that you infiltrated a messed up world, turned it upside down, and rocked our world as well. And Father, we just, we do, we seek after you. We make that scripture come alive that we draw close to you. You saw the hundreds of hands, God. And so, Father, we cash in on that promise that you have in your word that we draw close to you and you draw close to us. Father, you are at the center of our world. And might I just add, God, I know the power of your name. I know that your name is above every single name. I know that there is nothing that you can't accomplish. I know that everything that I encounter in my life, all I've got to do is give it to you. Step out of the way, put you back in the center of where this belongs. Scream out how beautiful your name is. Lord, we give that to you in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen. Let's worship this last time. You've been listening to the Cathedral Podcast. If you were encouraged by today's message, leave us a rating and hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you have any questions about today's message or just want to reach out, send an email to questions at cathedralemail.com. Thank you for listening. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. Have a blessed week.